This episode of Point of View Uncensored is sponsored by The Black Coffee Company, located on the south side of Atlanta. Welcome to our second season of Point of View Uncensored. Welcome back, everyone. I am Dr. Renaissance. I'm Dr. Jake. And what's going on, everybody? It's me, DJ. Well, welcome back, everybody. I'm glad to see y'all back, you know, healthy, looking well during, during in the midst of a tragic uh, pandemic or pandemic, as people like to say. <laughs> but um, to get started, I want to start off with our New Year's resolutions. I know um, as we are approaching the new year, um, a lot of people come up with different, different, different New Year's resolutions um, as far as what they want to do differently than, than they have done in the previous year. So I want to get you guys' take on New Year's resolution, resolutions or if you have any New Year's resolutions you want to talk about, feel free to share it. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not a big uh, person that sets resolutions, especially at, at the end of the new year. Um, you know, I mean, I try and, you know, be the best version of myself I can be, you know, throughout the entire year. So, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to, to get to the end of the year and try and, you know, start a resolution when everybody else is trying to at the same time. Uh, so I, I never really have success at keeping one anyway. Um, so I'm, you know, kind of staying out of the pack, so to speak. Don't, don't really set resolutions. Hey, as for me, I agree with you, Jake. Um, choosing to just make such a large leap into a different direction, I, use, I don't think that really works well. So I don't do any planning like that. It's, it's the same tunnel vision and chipping away at the same goals um, and tweaking things on a daily and monthly basis. So just making the necessary adjustments and keep it moving, but nothing fancy going from December to January. Those people may not know, um, I'm currently in graduate school um, in education, so just continue to get all A's. Um, as I always have been, not necessarily don't have a time frame, like you won't hear me say in January I'm going to have a goal. I kind of just do it as it perpetually as you know the time happens. So definitely keeping the good grades in school um, and continue to just build great relationships with people. I want to talk about um, you know what's, what's, going, what's going on for the past two years and it's still you know, it's like that curse just won't go away. Um, uh, big sister COVID. Big sister <laughs> <Yes>. COVID. <laughs> Omicron. Yeah, now we're in Omicron, uh, as, or as people as like to say, Omarion. <laughs> um, it's funny, I was actually looking at Omarion's uh, Instagram page uh, that he posted about a week ago, and I guess a lot of people have been tweeting about it, and he just kind of gives his wishes and say, you know, everyone stay healthy and everyone is just hilarious, you know. So I think kind of using this as like a way to, you know, get his name back up. Cause I know he has a, some tour coming up, the Millennial Reunion Tour. Yeah. So I think it's a good way to um, stay relevant. Accidental, accidental free publicity. Yeah. He didn't even understand why he was trending on Twitter. I mean, I wish o Omicron was a Marion. I mean, that would be like a lot better, right? <laughs> Than, yeah. You know, this virus, but uh, what I heard or read, Paul, was that um, Omicron isn't as uh, lethal as uh, the Delta variant. Um, and I was even reading something the other day that individuals that um, you know, get the, the Omicron infection, um, it might actually help with um, uh, immunization or being immune to the Delta variant or other kinds of uh, variations of the virus. So there might actually you know, be a silver lining, so to speak, that, you know, if, if you unfortunately do get um, Omicron, you know, you might be able to build up antibodies or 
um, develop resistance to some of the more deadly um, strands of coronavirus? Yeah, so the moral of the story is don't wear your mask and go to all the New Year's parties coming up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was told that they, they lessened the, um, the CDC, which that's, that's been trending uh, lately. <laughs> no longer do you have to wait 14 days or 10 days, but five whole five days. days. <laughs> and someone asked them on, on some show, like um, Dr. Anthony Fauci, that's, that's the, I guess, the America's doctor. He's the world's doctor. He's the world's doctor. Okay. Oh, so so he was talking some some lady I was watching earlier. Um, like why why is it less than five days? You know, of people if a lot of people are end up in the hospital, and he kind of gave some some excuse. I didn't even understand what he was saying. I was like, I don't know. What do y'all think about that? Um, a lot of people are frustrated with the conflicting guidance that's coming out of the CDC and, you know, the messaging, um, things changing from day to day. And I think it, you know, it's hard to stay on top of what is actually the scientific research, uh, you know, regarding quarantining, regarding how inf infectious the virus is. Um, so, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, ha this is, again, a continuation of the previous administration, the Trump's administration, oh. disastrous policy, <laughs> right, regarding just the basic fundamental narrative of what's happening, you know, and they can't, people are confused, people are scared, they can't seem to get it right. Um, and so I think Dr. Fauci, you know, you know, spanning both the Biden and Trump administration, you know, again, is just perpetuating this, this um, unnecessary confusion. So do you think they know what they're doing? Are we really in a guinea pig state right now where we're figuring it out as we go while trying to keep the economy going? Because that's the thing I can't wrap my head around is how has the economy not just collapsed at this point? Hey, you got a printing press where you can just keep printing dollars out. Right, and that's why inflation's going up. You guys have right. all seen that. With base we yeah. almost seen $4 uh, a gallon in Atlanta. I know in California it was about $6 a gallon. So. Well, well studies, um, there is a news that came out that said Atlanta actually has the highest inflation rate um, during the pandemic in the world. So, And that's just ridiculous. I mean, I haven't seen, you know, even rent, renting went up $100 alone. So that's, that's just ridiculous. Everybody still wants to move to Highland. And that's another thing, the, 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 uh, the demand. And I think they're, they're taking advantage of the demand and the fact that it's higher in other places and come to Atlanta will kind of be like still a, a decrease, a drop in the rest of the country. So I've, I guess Atlanta feel that they're that, ne that next California, I guess, that they can up prices up there, which is yeah. will be bringing them down here. Yeah. I mean, at some point, you know, uh, you know my limited knowledge of you know, monetary policy is that the Fed can't keep printing all of this money. Like, so, you know, there's got to be a give somehow. Um, inflation's going up. Inflation's here to stay. It's you know been um, um, on the trajectory for to increase. And so it's just you know I I don't want to be you know kind of the a skeptic or negative, but I you know when is the bottom going to fall out? You know that's kind of the question it seems like. Well, I was told that there. Um the Biden administration is, is tackling more of the, the top 10 percenters. So I think he's going to, he's trying to get the top 10 percenters to fund a lot of those, a lot of the things that's going on because of the fact they got so many tax breaks in the past administrations. Right. So maybe that can be that entity that can probably fund a lot of these things that 
So you're saying the rich pay for everything? I mean, that, that's what the policies are stating. I mean, of course, they don't want to pay, but I mean, that's the whole, that's the, that's the whole argument. That's the American dream. <laughs> to finally achieve great success, and then you become living welfare. So North Texas principal resigned to end fight over whether he is teaching critical race theory. Let's go. Dr. James Whitfield is at the center of a national fight this morning as he prepares to defend himself in a public hearing next month in Texas. I'd be lying if I told you that I, it, it didn't pain me to not be with the students that I typically get to serve each day. Since late August, he's been suspended from his job as the first black principal of Texas's majority white Colleyville Heritage High School after accusations that he was pushing critical race theory or CRT on students. Texas is one of eight states with new laws banning the teaching of critical race theory, a decades-old graduate-level study of law and racial inequality, which some claim can make white students feel guilt. We should be teaching American pride not to hate our country and to hate each other. But teachers and school officials tell NBC News that critical race theory was never taught by Dr. Whitfield or anyone else at the school. Some students have staged protests and walkouts. They fired the best principal that any of us have ever had in our entire life. State Senator Brian Hughes is the author of Senate Bill 3, the second anti-CRT law passed in Texas. We're not going to teach that one race is inherently superior or inferior, or that one sex is inherently superior or inferior. We're not going to teach that in K-12 through in Texas. The school district says that what's happened to you has nothing to do with critical race theory. Has this all just been a misunderstanding? So it, it is interesting that they would say that. Promoted me twice in the last three years. What's changed? Have a great day, buddy. Every morning, Whitfield takes his nine-year-old son Landon to school. It's across the street from where just a few weeks ago, he was principal. It's almost defeating. I'm driving back home. It feels like I'm missing out on doing what I've been called to do. My thing is that you, we don't even know if he was talking about critical race theory in the letter to begin with. Because the information we know is he just expressed um, you know, sadness or loss over the three um, uh, black Americans that were, you know, murdered. And so we don't even, I mean, that's the whole issue with this debate around critical race theory is that unless you're trained in it, uh, unless you have a graduate degree in uh, critical theory or critical philosophy or, um, uh, you know, uh, history of racism in the United States, you don't know what critical race theory is. So it's easy for parents and for people that want to oust somebody because they don't like their political views to just use this term as, you know, a disparaging kind of remark um, and get them, you know, like get him, uh, you know, fired basically. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick of Texas, he called it a ridiculous leftist narrative. Um, Governor Greg Abbott, which is, who is the governor of Texas, has called for it to be abolished in Texas schools. So that's why you see the lawmakers in Texas, um, they're passing House Bill 3979, which restricts how teachers can discuss current events, encourage civic engagement, and teach about Americans' history of racism. I mean, how is that not, you know, just trying to indoctrinate or brainwash uh, children? And that basically, to me, that's saying, Lawmakers get to decide what history was. Lawmakers get to decide what we teach in schools. 
I mean, it sounds like fascism, or it sounds like a, a dictatorship. That's wow, that sounds exactly like we're revisiting the 60s again. So this is probably American culture. I think that there's nothing new under the sun, and this is just a repeat of uh, what we've already been through. Um, what, I, what I am curious about, if we do pass laws that uh, stop critical race theory from being taught in schools, what is the end result? Does everybody pretend like everything, you know, is all roses and daffodils, and then we all move forward and we're better people? Is that the the thought behind it? To me, it's just the it's so um, it just speaks to how much work this country has to do in terms of coming to grips with its you know, racist past. And not only that, but the way that um, communities are organized socioeconomically in terms of race, in terms of um, privilege, you know? So um, I don't, I mean, abolishing critical race theory is only gonna make the, the symptoms or gonna make the situation worse, you know? Because it's gonna go underground, and people are gonna resent it, are gonna get upset about it. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, you, you guys might agree with this, but education should make you uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. That's part of growing, right? And there's debate, you know, I'm a professor, so I kind of know what's going on or has gone on in the current environment in higher education, at least. And there's been, you know, the last five or 10, probably five to seven years, there's been a lot of talk about providing, um, um, uh, what's it called? Um, trauma-sensitive um, uh, education or trauma-sensitive pedagogy. So like giving students trigger warnings, you know, if you're gonna discuss, you know, sensitive content, which I think is okay, but there's a slippery slope to falling into, well, I can't teach this because I'm gonna make a student uncomfortable. Mm. That's not fair. Is there any proof that um, critical race theory or teaching anything similar to that has provoke students to behave in certain ways. I was watching a uh, Meet the Press um, excerpt with Nicole Hannah-Jones. Um, can't remember the host, uh, what's the host, you know the host name? Will, Will, Will. Tucker Carlson, no. <laughs> <laughs> Some white guy. Yeah. <laughs> so she was, she was on Meet the Press and she was uh, pretty much explaining, you know, her take on all this is going on. Um, and I'll just give you, let's listen to the sound bite right here and let me know what you think. I don't think you have to be black or Latino in order to teach a more accurate history. The problem is that our teacher preparation programs are not equipping educators with the knowledge that they need to teach this history better. Um, when you look at the survey by uh, Teaching Tolerance, they found that about half or slightly more than half of American educators say they don't feel equipped to teach about slavery and they really struggle to teach about slavery. It's kind of... Um, ironic that we're seeing these bills being passed, these anti-history laws to make it more difficult to teach about slavery and racism and our, our country's long history of racism, when in fact, we have educators who are struggling the opposite way. They're having holding mock, mock slave auctions in their classrooms. They're having students do assignments where they have to list the pros and cons of slavery, because they really don't know how to teach this very well. And 
I don't really understand this idea that parents should decide what's being taught. I'm not a professional educator. I don't have a degree in social studies or science. We send our children to school because we want them to be taught by people who have an expertise in the subject area. And that is not my job. When the, when the uh, governor or, or the candidate said that he didn't think parents should be, be deciding what's being taught in school, he was panned for that. But but that's just the fact. Um, this is why we send our children to school and don't homeschool, because these are the professional educators mm-hmm. who have the expertise to teach social studies, to teach history, to right. teach science, to teach literature. Yeah. So as you can see, that was a clip from uh, Meet the Press with Nicole Hannah-Jones. She was speaking with Chuck Todd. So what was your take on all of that, even hearing what she has to say? Now, she for pe- those who don't know her, she's a she's the founder or and creator of the 1619 Project which um, was a, a news excerpt in the Washington Post? New York Times. I'm sorry, the New York Times. Um, and now she has a book out about it, um, the 1619 Project. So what do y'all think about you know her saying what she said to Chuck Todd on Meet the Press? I mean, I think Nicole Hannah-Jones, I think, is very brave and deserves um, to be um, you know, applauded for um, sticking her neck out there in terms of standing up for what is right Uh, with regarding what education is and what education should be. So just like she said, you know, do we want parents deciding, you know, what should be taught in schools? I mean, that's not the way that we've traditionally done it. That's not, you know, going all the way back to, you know, the founding of, you know, the Western educational system. You know, the ancient Greeks, you know, didn't have, you know, parents, you know, dictating what should be taught. You know, rather you would go, you know, eventually you'd go to a, um, a, a lyceum or a school and get taught by somebody that knows what they're talking about. Right? So I, I think she's dead on. Um, I think that there should be some reasonable voice. Like uh, parents can have some input, or maybe not just parents, the community should have some input of what areas should be you know, add it to school curriculums because I feel like each community has something that's probably missing, but it should be a voice of reason. So I understand what she's saying. Um, but history does show that without us coming together and pointing out some flaws in the system, that things will be like omitted from history. So there has to be some governing body, not just the government or maybe the school board, Voices of reason, we should properly select who, you know, who gets to say so, and then we can always go back and challenge what's already out there. It goes to show, so if, if, if they're doing things that the community is not agreeing with, then it goes to show that did our, the community vote for these people to come in, get in office? That's another thing to look at, too. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends on the demographics of the community, right? You know, in the, the case of uh, the principal that got fired for teaching critical race theory, I mean, that community was, what, 99% white, affluent, so they were, you know, well off. Um, and they're going to vote, you know, people in that are like them, most likely. Yeah. Interesting. And so, okay, so even a school like that, but what about other schools that represent majority of our country, which are urban school districts. Um, what about those educations? You know, a lot of people say that test scores are low, you know, that those type of schools, Title I schools, so to speak, are kind of hard to reach children. So 
can we say that those board members, are they representing what the school district should be? Or if not, well, you know, what, what, would, you, what would be your idea? What would be the idea that parents should, should do? I think it's, it's probably a, um, a more obvious no that those particular schools aren't properly um, represented. Uh, and I guess we're talking about disenfranchised the poor people or, or poor communities. So I'm pretty sure they don't have time to actually be involved to have a proper say so. Mm -hmm. But not in, you know, to echo DJ's point, they're in poor communities that don't have um, proper government funding, they don't have uh, proper infrastructure, you know, they don't have. Um, access public transportation, they don't have the ability to get to school, to maybe even provide food, right? In the same way that, you know, once you get out of the urban centers, you know, um, these school districts are a little bit um, more well off. I mean, you're not having to deal with so many students um, at the same time. So we're going to our next topic um, is the Infrastructure Bill and the Voting Rights Act. Um, I know currently that's being on the floor. Um, in the Senate right now. Um, also know a lot of our, you know, our American, I say our, I say our citizens, um, they kind of have been upset with the current administration as far as them not being aggressive and making sure these type of bills are being passed so that we are not dealing with um, disenfranchised um, a community. Um, I know one soundbite I want to see, uh, I want to talk about, or I want to show is the one um, where Kamala Harris, I'm sorry, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, was on Charlemagne the God show and she talked, um, pretty much gave her synopsis of um, how she felt and Charlemagne gave his, gave his synopsis of what he thinks about um, pretty much what everyone's saying, which is pretty much that who's the, who's the president, Joe Biden or Joe Manchin? And she kind of took offense to it and the clip talked about it. At what point do we like, you know, stop being politicians and just be real with the American people, Madam Vice President? Because we know Joe Manchin is ruining this country. The stuff he's holding up progress on are hurting people, they're hurting black people in particular. If Democrats allow Joe Manchin to continue to do this, how do you convince black people to come out and continue to vote for y'all? He's holding up progress, we know this. Hey, Charlemagne, here's the thing though. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a mistake to try and, and think about this only through the lens of Democrats versus Democrats, when the fact is Republicans are consistently and unanimously standing in the way of progress. Very true. It, it is my recollection that not one voted for the American Rescue Plan. So what do y'all think about that? You think that was this whole, a whole act? You know, is she not doing anything? You know, I hear different, different opinions about the administration. I mean, a lot of people compare it to Donald Trump, President Donald Trump. I mean, are they doing a better job than our previous administration? So let's talk, what do you think about that? It's kind of hard to tell to give a, a true unbiased opinion because it's still in the mix of COVID, but it does have a very similar feel. Um, maybe it takes a few more years to actually push some of those promises that were, you know, the, the front line of why most people voted them in. But will it be enough to save them for a second term? I'm having a lot of doubt. There's a lot of empty promises. Um, there were some that were executed pretty fast, but uh, the population that was targeted 
feels like a lot of those promises are still coming up empty. And I think with the Charlemagne, the God, uh, you know, asking Vice President Kamala Harris, you know, who really is the president, I think he, you know, that's, you know, for um, uh, since it's being sensationalized, right? So it's trying to get a reaction out of Vice President Harris. But at the same time, I think the focus shouldn't be so much on Joe Manchin and um, Joe Biden, but on who Charlemagne was asking the question to. And so, you know, I think you guys are probably aware that Vice President Harris has received a lot of um, flack from the media and from the general population about not being a likable vice president. And I think, you know, that's an interesting topic. Um, and for Charlemagne to ask that question of Vice President Harris, I think there's a lot to unpack there. But you know, I, you know, it has to do with a lot of things. It has to do with her being a woman. It has to do with her being a woman of color. Um, you know, what does it say about you know a black man asking um, a woman, a black woman, that question? Right? What's the po what's the power dynamic in there? You can you know, so there's, <laughs> Right. You know, and so there's a lot to this, that whole you know um, context is so interesting, um, and so I think it speaks a lot to where we're at in this nation in terms of race, in terms of gender equality, and. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, I think for whatever reason, Vice President Harris is not doing well in terms of um, uh, appeal, likability, personability, and, you know, I guess general overall competence as a politician. Yeah. Well, she did just kind of explode back on the scene. Seemed like she went kind of invisible for a good bit. So to come back and show face and to not be delivering, I don't think that adds to her favor at all. Hmm. Okay, we'll go on to our next topic. Um, so speaking of the government um, and speaking of Congress, um, there's been a lot of fights going on, a lot of political wars going on within our Congress. Like for example, I know Cori Bush uh, sent a tweet out stating that we are approaching our January 6th um, insurrection uh, attack anniversary. Uh, we're about to approach one year. And she said, what better way um, than to celebrate by expelling those members um, who were involved? So um, I think some of those members might be uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I know her name was brought up. Um, I think Kevin McCarthy might have been part of that as well. Um, maybe Rand Paul. Rand Paul. And, and, and there's a lot of other, other uh, I want to say 100, I think it's 100 representatives that was pretty much involved in that attack. Um, and we also saw a PowerPoint on that, um, on one show, the Tyler, I'm sorry, this quote me on that, but um, on a show where it was a PowerPoint that mapped out how the, uh, how the insurrection should be executed. Um, that's currently going on um, in the committee, the January 6th uh, committee in Congress. So what did y'all take on all that stuff with these political battles with, with this Congress? Um, I know a lot, a lot of them are still upset because, I mean, a lot of those um, insurrectionists came in threatened to kill those members. So it's a very serious situation. A lot of those people are taking it personal. So what do y'all think of all of this? Well, are people mad because they want to see certain groups of people get the justice that would have been given if they were another color? I feel like that's a large part of it. Um, I'm still surprised that uh, a lot of people are witch hunting and seeking revenge on the situation. Um, are there bigger matters at hand? Probably. 
Um, move them out, put some other people in. That, that's my take on it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, again, just the behavior of some of the um, members in Congress um, supporting the attack on the Capitol, I think, is deplorable. And I think that um, why to have people repre representing the general population that, you know, have um, behave a certain way, have values a certain way, of course, they're elected. But uh, I guess the question is, you know, where does that, you know, um, sort of justice come down in terms of holding people accountable um, for, you know, supporting the insurrection? And that's, I guess that's the question, you know, is um, should these people be allowed to govern the United States of America? So um, that's a good question you talk about, because I mean, there are a lot of, I think there's a lawsuit going on right now um, with the Justice Department suing Georgia's redistricting, um, redistricting uh, voting uh, districts, you know, redistricting voting districts, um, to where you know pretty much the government is pretty much choosing their voters, which you know that's kind of breaking law. I think with the Voting Rights Act of 1965. So that lawsuit just actually I just saw that today. So. Well, all these people not being held accountable, it's not, you know, not just with Congress. I mean, you even look, you look in that situation. I also saw that the Georgia uh, Department of Labor um, apparently has been using uh, federal funds, federal unemployment funds to to pretty much serve lunches to the employees um, for over a year, which reached up to $1.1 million. So where were they going? Roof, Chris? Hibachi um, <laughs> Grill? Uh, it makes me see a different meaning to the word scamdemic. Uh, apparently, the public wasn't just scamming different forms of uh, <laughs> corona funds, but I guess government officials were as well. Yeah, I think um, you know that money should be going to people that really need it, and so you know people that are struggling to pay their rent, people that are struggling to put food on their table. That's where that money should be going instead of the being used for, you know, lunch um, for employees. Um, that, that, that seems um, not fair. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, redrawing the districts uh, in Georgia, again, you know, I think is just typical um, United States politics being played out. And I think, you know, seeing from where we've, we've come historically as a country to where we're at today, I think there was a clear deterioration of dignity and honor and uh, 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 goodwill in terms of being able to reach across the aisle. Um, you know, it's today's political climate is so divisive that it's like two, almost two countries, the Republicans and the Democrats, fighting each other constantly. You know, nobody works together, nobody wants to work together. Um, and so I don't want to, you know, hypothesize how this is going to end, but the, the way we're going, it doesn't look like it's going to end very well. You know, I also want to bring up the um, one more thing I saw that I thought was just ridiculous is Representative Boebert from Colorado. Um, I know it was a few weeks back, but um, I kind of want to talk about that, where she pretty much was saying a lot of Muslim um, anti-Semitic, is that the word we're going to yeah. use? Mm -hmm. No. Um, Anti-Islamic? Yeah, anti-Islamic. Uh, Anti-Islamic uh, quotes or phrases to another representative, uh, Representative Omar from Minnesota. 
um, stating that, you know, she's part of the Jihad squad and, you know, she might have a bomb at the Capitol and I'm afraid. And um, Omar retaliated in a tweet stating that, you know, none of that never happened. So even seeing that back and forth with officials, it's just, you know, it's very childish. Like, these people are elected. We're paying tax dollars for these people to act this way. So what's your take on that? And do you think she should be held accountable for her actions? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think that's like an overt racist comment um, against somebody that's Muslim, and it plays on the stereotype of the suicide bomber. And so, you know, she should be, you know, reprimanded maybe by, I don't know the structure of Congress, but the Ethics Committee, or there's got to be some kind of disciplinary measure that they can take to, um, you know, to hold their members uh, in line. She definitely has to be reprimanded, for sure. Um, if it were another group of people, uh, we, we could substitute it with um, earlier in the pandemic when there was a lot of Asian hate and uh, the laws that were passed to protect those groups of people. Or, and we confused it with anti-Semitism. Uh, and if it were in that light, there would be certain um, repercussions to go along with it. So. Uh, the standards should be kept across the board. Uh, it, it was insensitive, but does it show her true nature? And are you, am I surprised by it? I, I'm not. Um, it seemed like a, a good old boy rally. So um, I'm, I'm catching a, a, a reoccurring theme with the politicians that were elected into office that they may not be the best characters for what um, maybe millennials are up and coming American groups find suitable in today's age. So, well, that's about wraps up our episode of season two, Point of View Uncensored. Again, welcome back. I'm glad to have y'all back. I think we're gonna have a lot of a lot of dope stuff coming up. And we're glad to be back. Glad to be here. Be blessed, everybody.